Welcome to episode nine of the Physiotype Podcast. Wow, we're at nine already? That's, that's pretty good. We are at nine. Yes, we are. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, today, we're going to talk about three main things. Um, we're going to talk about a research project that we've been working on. Um, after that, we're going to talk about subtypes. And then we're going to um, do a personality typing of uh, someone who requested a personality typing. So that'll be fun. Uh, I think this is probably the first time we've discussed such different topics all in the same episode. So, uh, you know, we're, we're experimenting. If you like, if you guys like it, maybe we'll do it more. If you guys hate it, I'm sure we'll hear about it. Yeah, I'm I'm torn. So listeners, let us know whether you like these episodes packed with like three different things or you want just one subject per episode. Um, yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah, yeah. Eh, it's experimenting. We'll figure it out. First things first is the Chicago Face Database and the stuff that we've done with this database. Uh, would you want to explain to us what the Chicago Face Database even is? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so I've taken a very selfish uh point of view when it comes to the Chicago Face Database, meaning uh, I'm just using it for my own purposes. But uh, I, as I recollect, is the Chicago Face Database is a database of very high quality pictures they have taken of, at this point, over 600 people. So um, what they've done, I, I don't believe that the paper was um, making really any claims. Basically, they were just describing uh, their data set, this this face database. Um, and they're kind of like creating this data set that lots of researchers can use in the future. So, I mean, this is like, I think this is a solid project. It's like, you're, no one's going to like give you a Nobel prize for making a database of faces, but, um, it's really, it's really useful for all kinds of different research. So I'm super happy they did this. Um, I've reached out to them a couple of times over the years and they've always gotten back to me, me, me immediately, the authors. So that's, that's also very nice of them. Um, the authors are Debbie Ma, Joshua Carell, and burned Wittenbrink. Um, so yeah, like I said, what they did is they got at this point six hundred subjects, so six hundred people, um, men and women, um, Black Americans, Asian Americans, and well, I'm not sure they're Asian Americans or Black Americans, but anyways, uh, men and women, white, Black, Asian, and um, the other designation was Latino, maybe or Hispanic. Yeah, I think they um, defined it as Latino, but yeah. Latino. Okay, so we had two genders, male and female, and then uh, black, white, Asian, and um, Latino. Um, and so they took actually really good pictures of all these people. Um, they, I believe all the people removed their, um, like, identifying, like, earrings and stuff like that. They're all wearing gray t-shirts. So the researchers did kind of try and make it so that... Uh, there's not much going on in the picture besides just people's faces, right? So right now we've got 600 really good high quality pictures of, um, or, or a whole bunch of pictures of 600 people, really good quality. Um, and they're all in the same environment, all wearing gray t-shirts. Um, and then, so what they did after that was they measured um, over 55 traits um, of these facial features. Um, so these, these could be considered like static facial features or just uh, anything measurable. Um, so some of these were um, more subjective things like, uh, does the person look afraid? Does the person look angry? Does the person look attractive, baby face, disgusted, whatever. And then they had like more objective things like the height of their left eye, the width of their left eye, uh, face width cheeks, which is um, like, you know, their face length divided by the width at their cheeks. So all kinds of... Um, uh, objective measurements, and then uh, maybe like 10 or so subjective measurements. Um, and I do remember from reading this that the way they measured these was pretty solid. So you can imagine that measuring someone's faces is difficult, right? Because like, you've got a lot of like tissue and muscle. And like, if someone's inflamed, or if they just like smile a little bit too much, or they clinch their jaw too much, it's going to change the measurements a bit. So what they did was I think they had multiple people, they trained multiple people to measure faces the same way. And then they had multiple people measure each of these like 55 traits and they averaged it. So basically like, here's how you measure, you know, facial width to height ratio. And then they had six people do it and they averaged that. Um, so I think that's a pretty solid way to do it. Um, 
And then they also had other subjects who weren't part of the, um, whose pictures weren't taken. They had these subjects subjectively rank um, the 600 faces. So there's even this attractive, right. there's even a metric that's attractive in there. You know, a scale from like one to five or something. I don't know. Um, so we got subjective and objective stuff. And I do believe that the objective metrics on these faces is it, pretty solid. Um, what I was looking at, it looked like a good way to do it. Um, and so we were pretty excited to find this. We actually found this, what, like a year, two years ago? Yeah, we found it a while ago. And so what we did was we typed all 600 people, um, giving them, we typed them using um, MBTI. So, um, you know, ISTJ, ISTP, ESFP. Right. But we, we typed them via their face. Obviously, we didn't give them an MBTI. Correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, as you know, physiotype can be inferred directly just from looking at a picture of someone usually. So we typed them only by looking at their faces. The Chicago Face Database has this sheet of the 600 subjects and, you know, 55 traits. It's more than 55 traits, but 50, there is 55 of them that we were interested in. Um. And so what we did was analyzed these facial features um, of the entire population and analyzed those same facial features across uh, individual types. I did this with every single trait and every single personality type, and we got really solid results. Um, we saw a huge amount of patterns. This is basically an objective way to find patterns, right? It's no longer us just pretending that we know what we're talking about. Um, we found a huge amount of patterns. So that what that means is we got lots of large effect sizes for almost all the types, lots of uh, medium effect sizes for all the types. So what I also did was I calculated the p-value. 0.05 means what are the odds of this happening uh, if you're wrong about your hypothesis? Well, 5%. Anyways, so we have that p-value for every single uh, type where we measured effect sizes, and um, it's great. Let me pull up the p-values here really quick. You're gonna have to cut so much of this, Alex. Sorry, I know I'm rambling. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I was actually I was gonna ask, uh, how do you feel about us putting a link to this data? I think it's fine. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, if any of our listeners are into stats or math. Um, Maybe you'll find a problem with the way I calculated effect size or p-values, and that would be good. Let us know. Um, but so far, I think they're right. And honestly, the p-value or the p-values for every single type is um, really good. I think like the highest p-value we had was like uh, no, I think we had a p-value of like point one or two. Um, okay, for INFPs, we only had four subjects. There was a few of those where we had very few subjects. Yeah, so the P, so we had four subjects for INFPs, and we had twenty six large effect sizes out of fifty five possible chances, right? So you basically mm -hmm. like, oh, what are the chances of getting a large effect size? And you do that fifty five times, and you kind of do that math. But we only had four subjects, and so you have to take into account the effect size and the subjects. And so the p value for INFPs uniqueness is 0.995. So that means <laughs> the odds of us getting that many, yeah, getting those results, or worse actually, but getting those results is ninety nine percent. So it's like, no matter what, you're going to get seemingly good results with only four subjects. I think if we got 40 INFPs, it would match everything else and we'd have great effect sizes. But most of great p-values. Most of these p-values, though, are infinitesimal. They're like, we're using, ex, we're using negative exponential notation. Most of these p-values have 10 to 20 zeros before the, the first number, right? So it's quite clear uh, we're onto something physically. Um, so basically, what does this mean? Um, all it means so far is that our system of physically typing people is consistent. That's important. That's something, an important, um, an important, uh, disclaimer here is that, or because we did not give these people any kind of psychological tests, uh, all this is saying is that the people who we say look similar do look similar. Yep. And not only do they look similar to each other, they look different from everyone else. Exactly. So yeah, like me and Alex can look at someone and be like, oh, they're an SFP just by looking at them, right? Um, but we just did this at scale, like 600 people, and then actually compared objective metrics. And it's and anyone who looks at this data will be like, oh, yeah, 
these people are definitely there's there's something that they're looking at. Um, and, and there's a lot of these objective metrics that me and Alex already know, but it's nice to see that like, oh, yeah, um, we are typing people consistently based on how they look. Um, we're not this isn't proof of it being predictive, but it is proof that we have a system and it's consistent. Um, generally speaking, uh, me and Alex could go into separate rooms, type the same person from their face and say that the same type. Um, right, right. But uh, that doesn't make it objective, uh, <laughs> and it doesn't make it predictive. It just means that we've both brainwashed each other the same way, right? Right. <laughs> so that's the important disclaimer. I'm not I talking about. I can't help but feel like I'm not. No, I can't I'm, help but feel like you've got someone in mind. Absolutely uh, not. No, no. Of course not. <laughs> I'm not thinking about anyone. <laughs> Shut up, Alex. They're gonna send. One of, they're gonna send one of their acolytes after us. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but like jokes aside, this is an important distinction to make because, you know, to someone who is only skimming what we're talking about right now, it might sound like that we've we've found this master, this this masterful way of predicting behavior and that this this proves it beyond a doubt. But it doesn't at all. Like we said before, this when they took these pictures of people, they did not ask them any questions about their personalities. And so while we can say, oh, look, the people who we say look similar to each other do look similar to each other. We have no proof that they act anything like each other. Yep, perfectly said. And so I think our next um, our next thing to do then, as far as like getting this to actually be, you know, fairly scientific, is um, coming up with a test. Right? We'll we'll make a a big test. We'll refine that test by you know giving the test to different types and seeing. Oh, okay, so SFPs answer the test. SFPs score this way. NTPs score this way. SFJs score that way. And then once we have a really good test that it, uh, that will always end up agreeing with our physical typing, then what we can do is um, do this facial measuring, have someone type the person without talking to them or, or knowing what their facial measurements are. And then we'll also um, have them take a test. And so at that point, we will say, look at this. People who score this way uh, have this kind of these facial traits. And then that that's when this is a full fledged like it's hard to disagree with uh, the physiotype method and people the way people answer a test um, can be inferred from the way they look. So that's that's what we're really going for at the end. I, I think something interesting that you kind of just mentioned now, and also that you were talking about before the show, I think yesterday, uh, was the idea of we don't we don't have to have any like super amazing deep philosophical uh, enlightened questions to put on this test. Uh, we just need questions, and we can let the data speak for itself. Like we don't need to be able to predict. Uh, the answer to what's your favorite color, uh, say, for example, when we give these tests to people, we just need to, we need more information. Right. So you're saying that, um, yeah. So basically what you're saying is we don't need to be right the first time we send out these tests. We're going to send out a very large test comprised of maybe 100 questions or more, and then we'll analyze the test in a very similar way that we analyze these faces. Um, we'll compare the test results to the way we've typed the people and then we'll know, oh, SFPs, like our assumption could be totally wrong, but it doesn't matter because we'll update our assumptions once we get the tests back. You know, if we think an SFP might answer one way and they all answer the other way, like that is just as significant. The main thing is we think there's a pattern. Hope uh, We think our pattern's right, but I'm pretty sure there's a pattern. So we're going to find what, find it either way. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout for that test. Listeners, we'll need your help. Not a test, the uh, questionnaire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I think we can move on. <laughs> Just FYI, guys. We do go more into detail with the statistics and the number crunching that we did for this study. If you're interested in it, we are releasing a, an audio footnote that goes into more detail. If you're on Patreon, you have access to that right now. It's already up. If you're not on Patreon and you can't join, that's okay. Don't worry about it. We will be releasing it to the public on Thursday of this week. Uh, something we've touched on briefly, but we haven't really talked about in detail. Uh, subtypes. So, you know, again, we, we based our personality system off of the idea that there's 16. Or, well, 
as we've we've simplified it down to eight types. But we've also talked about the fact that there's a lot of room within these types. That yes, being a certain type puts you in a box, but it's a very big box. With that said, how would you define subtype? I would say in the context of physiotype. I would say a subtype um, is a subtype. No, um, how do you define subtype? <laughs> so it's like you could be a certain type. Um, but you can be multiple subtypes within that type, right? So you could be a STJ or, you know, you could be a local meta uh, supiner or local meta proner. Um, and then within that, you could have uh, there's variability that me and Alex could notice by looking at you. I think, in fact, we talked about it last episode when we were when we were interviewing uh, Kenzie, how she's an SFJ, but she's fairly prone for an SFJ. Mm hmm. Uh, and as we've discussed before, SFJ uh, by definition is a supine type, yet she's prone. Yeah. Or at least more prone than average. So this is basically our way for dealing with the fact that there are not only eight different people on this planet that are all exactly the same to everyone else in the category. Exactly. How would you explain what is happening with subtypes in relation to our current model? So I think to an extent, I mean, you're born with a type and I also think you're born with a subtype, but I think the subtype is at least partially mutable. What do you think? I think the subtype is partially changeable via circumstances, via nurture. What do you think? Yes. You know, it's something I think I've said before and I really, I've, and I've said it a lot before, but I think I've said it mostly out of simplicity and not because I completely believe it to be true is that your type is something you are, you're defaulted with when you're born. So if you're an NTP, then when you're born, you are, your default is prone, for example. I don't completely believe that though. I think what you just said is true, at least true-ish, that you can even be born with a subtype. You could even be born a relatively supine NTP. I mean, I think by definition, you have to be born with a subtype, right? It's like, you're, you're, maybe you're born as an NTP, and maybe your subtype is the very basic NTP, but it's still a subtype. It's like, at that point, it would be a category that didn't matter because it fits in with the other one perfectly, but we can still view subtypes as always existing, I think. Even, um, and we've talked about this before, like my baby pictures, I looked pretty prone as a baby, even as a toddler, I was pretty prone. And I did behave pretty prone too. My mom always said that with the other little kids, I was always the one deciding what to do next and that they were all following along. Um, if anything, I think I look way more supine now than I did as a baby. Yeah. However, I don't believe I was born an NTP and became an NFP. I believe I was always an NFP. And maybe I was a bit more prone as a child than I am now. Right. Yeah, I would agree completely. Um, I think age... Age almost always changes subtypes. Have you noticed any patterns with age? Like any any type aging? Have you noticed patterns? Mm, I'm sure there are. I haven't given it too much thought. Did you have anything in mind? Yeah, I was thinking NI gets a little stronger with age, it seems like. Or at least crazy NI. Like uh, pathological NI seems to get worse with age. Like SFP women. SFP women... Um, get kind of pathological NI as they age or they, or they can define pathological NI um people with strong NI are able to have very specific visions right like prophecy is a very NI thing um it's like NI allows you to abstract but it's not just like general abstraction it's very detailed abstraction I would say so it's like universal because it's abstraction but it's also MESA because it's very detailed and it's very like encapsulated, very meaningful or seemingly meaningful. So, um, I mean, generally, really, really messa abstraction tracks with lots of uh, brain diseases. I mean, conspiracy theories is a very messa abstraction because you're imagining something that you don't directly see. And you're applying lots of properties to it and binding it to and like imagining that it has this personality. So like, um, I'm just saying that if you have really strong NI and it's very messa NI, which is, I mean, I guess NI is always messa, right? But I'm saying 
it can be pathological because you imagine things that aren't happening or you spend too much time in your own head imagining things are real that they aren't. So I'm not just saying like if you're this isn't just like to crazy people who who like imagine things like we all kind of have inklings, right? And it doesn't make us crazy because we think something might be true. But I see this happening with older uh, NI um, where these inklings become disturbingly strong, where they affect their day to day life too much. This this kind of belief, it's like beliefs for no particular good reason affecting them too strongly. That, and that's, I guess, what I mean by pathological NI. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know. What do you think? I I don't know. I think the anecdotes in my life that I've seen with that have been STP actually. Um Oh yeah, yeah. You've talked about that, I think. I think I think they're both pretty pretty uh susceptible to that. No, I agree completely and I think this is like a good example of what we're talking about, right? An SFP or an STP with heavy NI. Like that's that's not something that the MBTI system accounts for, but that you know, if we want a system that represents the real world in any way, you have to account for it because this this is something we see a lot uh, to the point where I I I think that a lot of people who because I know you're not you're not as much into like the typology subreddits and stuff like that as maybe I am in most most of the, our listeners even. Um, but a lot, a lot, a lot of people type as N. And I think most people interpret that as people who are S or people who are local are just not interested in typology. But I'm I'm more of the opinion that it's just more people who are typing as N can still be local and they're just relatively high in whatever universal function they have. And yeah, I think people who are very interested in typology probably are, tend to be, well, I mean, yeah, they tend to be a little more universal, whether they're true locals or universals just because it's like oh it's a model right so models are universal so there you go so yeah i think as an example like if you say okay that guy's nfj that's a type and if you say he has really high ni that's a subtype did you want to talk about shadow functions now i uh not necessarily i have very little to say about that so if you do i encourage you but uh all i can do is ask poignant questions I think there's a lot that can be said about shadow functions, but um, because I know some typology systems that do have subtypes use shadow functions, but for the purposes, I just wanted to say that for the purposes of physiotype, we choose to ignore shadow functions because we believe that behaviors can be explained without them and including shadow functions kind of turns physiotype into a non-falsifiable. Like, Literally any behavior that we see that falls outside of our paradigm, we could just say, oh, it's because he had he's really high in his eighth function. Yeah, because then you could say, then everyone has all functions, and then you can use the subtype argument to say that, oh, yeah, they're really high in their shadow functions. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, exactly. It's non-falsifiable now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not here to say that shadow functions aren't real. But I am saying that we have to assume they're not real unless we see some amazing piece of evidence to the contrary, which neither of us have seen to this point. So is is there room for growth? Well, what do you think, Colby? Is there room for growth? So absolutely. Like, first of all, let's all pretend we have free will. I'm not going to get into that. Um, you have free will, so you can do anything you want regardless of your type. There's that. And then also, um, you can change your subtype with repetitive behavior over decades and repetitive uh, thinking over decades. So there is room for growth. What do you think? I, I agree. And uh, I think over decades might be a stretch. I think I definitely think you can change subtype much quicker than over decades. Sure. Yeah. That's that's let's put that as an upper bound. I think purpose doing so purposely is much more difficult than it probably sounds on paper. I think most of the time when a subtype drastically changes, it's because of trauma, honestly. Like, I, I, you can change your subtype, sure, but, like, if you have trauma, that's definitely going to change your subtype. So that's that's more often, I think, where you'll see subtypes changing. Yeah, yeah, especially, like, very quickly. And honestly, that would it would change the subtype of, like, your neuroticism, which isn't even really part of physiotype. But you can kind of see neuroticism in a face anyways, I think, so. I think that's a part of the reason why physiotype can be useful as well. 
is because we have some and we will go more much more into detail about how to like visually type people um but for now it's safe to say we can see subtypes in people like we can see if an sfp is really prone or if an ntj is really supine for example um that means we can predict more specific behaviors potentially if we include subtypes uh if there wasn't a physical marker for subtypes i think it would cause subtypes to be kind of non-falsifiable in the same way that uh shadow functions are would cause the system to become non-falsifiable but if we can get to the point where we're measuring subtypes physically and tracking that to specific behaviors then it becomes just as falsifiable as the rest of our system yeah and i I think it, it it should be able to be measured i mean here's the thing if if you can see it it can be measured right um like everything's measurable um if something's true, then it's measurable. Generally, that's, I mean, that's, I uh, pro- uh, seems right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling me that even though you can see something, it's not object- objectively measurable is a false statement, Colby? Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> let, well, let's say that we're like typing people and we're like, oh, we can tell that they're this subtype because have you noticed how the way they look like this or they, they walk like this? And then we would just say, oh, but it's impossible to ever actually scientifically prove. It's like, no, of course it is. If it's if you're seeing a pattern and you believe it's true, then if, if, if you can't prove it, then it's not true. Yeah. Like, if this isn't math, like basic biology does not f- fall prey to Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Like, <laughs> if it's true, there is a proof for it. Um, yeah. So this is why we're doing what we're doing. We're trying to prove ourselves wrong or right uh, with, with with face typing. So we're not prone to believing that we're right and we just can't. It just can't be proved. Like that's that's not how the real world works. And our claim is that physiotype works in the real world. So either it can be proven and it's true, or it's non falsifiable. In which case, even if it is quote unquote true, it's it's useless. It, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like. I am literally willing to walk away from physiotype if if uh, I can, if I sufficiently convince myself that we it's just not true, you know, like that is in the realm of possibility for me. Um, I mean, I've almost for like a month. I mean, I've done it before (laughs) for like a year or two. I was like, man, I mean, this seems right, but I just it just seems like we're doing too much hand waving, and I feel like we're in in kind of like a you know us talking or we're like we're in a like a feedback loop of brainwashing each other i don't know um but then it's like i was thinking about it and it's like dude no like there's these patterns that everyone sees like everyone always says oh look like okay so have you ever noticed that people who look the same often have the same mannerisms there you go mm-hmm. if if you believe that which most people do actually because if you start asking that they're like oh yeah i have noticed that like in our heads we like create these little boxes sure but I think those boxes are somewhat real. So like I have almost like given up on physiotype before, but because we, because people who look the similar often act similar, that's just like disturbingly meaningful to me. So this is why I'm working on it. And if physiotype doesn't work out, then I'm, I'm gone. I think it will, but I just want our audience to know that <laughs> we're looking for the truth. <laughs> if we suddenly stop recording, you know why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we'll never claim to be like consistently typing someone via something that can't be proven. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and if you guys notice us claiming that and we haven't realized it ourselves feel free to uh to burst our bubble if you can <laughs> so it's a constant journey of of trying to be generative creative people but also um willing to make falsifiable theories and prove yourself wrong too i, I think it's a if you can toe that line and do both things then you're in a really good spot and i think we're we're so far we've been pretty good at that we've been good at being open to being wrong while still like saying, Hey, I've noticed this. I don't know why this is true, but we'll figure it out. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show so far. If you have, or if you haven't, if you could do us the lovely favor of reviewing us on iTunes, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google podcasts, anywhere you're listening to us, please, please, please. We ask for you to leave us a review. It can be just by clicking the five star rating 
you could type something out for us. Uh, it helps us get noticed by the algorithm and it helps us know how to better serve you. All right. Thanks again, guys. Okay. So Alex, uh, I think we're moving on to the number three, uh, the third section of our uh, episode. So we have our first typing, right? Yes. Yes. Who who wants to be typed and uh, how do we know them? Uh, so this is the Reddit user Robot Morgan. Um, people in the typology community might recognize that username because he is the creator of uh, Personality in Order, which is basically a subreddit that is dedicated to using typology systems to improve oneself, to self-improve and to, you know, the, his goal is to help as many people find good mental health as possible using the subreddit. He seems like a nice guy. He seems like a really nice guy. He's a very, very uh, personable. Oh, and he, he was the one who left the question about... Um, oh, his histronic? His, histronic. His, histrionic or something? Yeah, histrionic uh, personality disorder. He, he didn't say histrionic personality disorder, but he indicated that he at times he feels like he might have some histrionic tendencies yes it's histrionic and this is i'm so glad he brought this up it was super interesting because i had no idea what a histrionic personality disorder was but then when i read it i was like oh yeah this is totally a thing like i've known people who match all these like it's like a it's a common package of traits is what i'm saying so it's clearly stems from a single you know genetic component some 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 physical component Sorry, that's getting off topic anyways, but it's interesting. Histrionic, I'm glad you brought that up. because If you have it up, would you mind defining it for the crowd? Sure. So let's just go to Wikipedia. Histrionic personality disorder. Okay, so excessive attention seeking, usually beginning in early adulthood. Inappropriate seduction, excessive need for approval. Lively, dramatic, vivacious, enthusiastic, and flirtatious. Four times as frequent in women as men. Huh. But I guess in women, it just seems like they're just like, I think it looks more natural in women. To men, in, in men, it's just like you just, you view them as that like annoying, touchy, filly kid in school. But for women, it's just, you, you don't, it doesn't, I don't know. Two to three, per, two to 3% of the population. That's a lot. I feel like this is just like some random personality disorder that some introvert made. He was like, ah, I'm going to, and he, he's just annoyed at these people who are very uh, enthusiastic, dramatic. Uh, and he's just like, oh, I'm going to make this a personality. That's what I feel like. Like, I know what he's talking about. I know these kind of people, but it's just kind of a funny, you know, it's, it, it seems like a post categorization. It's a funny personality disorder to make. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But yeah, it's like, it's a people who like as assume they have relationships stronger than they are. Um, they're very like affectionate. He, he, and he asked if this had anything to do with personality types. And uh, I believe my official answer on the subreddit was, I don't know. But I wouldn't be that surprised. Is, that was your official answer. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, I mean, here's the thing. If physiotype has physical causes, so everything has physical causes at the end of the day. Um, there's no such thing as true symptom-based diseases, in my opinion, because that just means we just don't know the physical causes yet. So if histrionics is physical, if it's real, it's physical. And if physiotype is real, it's also physical. So there definitely could be some overlap. Not sure. Haven't thought about it much. Yeah, yeah no, same, same, same. So, should we watch the video and type them? Sounds good. So, I mean, listening to the video, the first thing I am thinking, actually, is how similar his voice is to yours. Hmm. You're right. He does have a very sexy voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how would you describe that voice? Your voice? His voice? So, did we tell the listeners what we're doing, that we're watching a video of him that he's in this right now? Oh, we did not. Yeah. So, uh, guys, we're, we're watching a video that he sent us. We asked for a video because we do a lot better with video than we do with photos. We can't do this with photos, but video is much easier. Definitely. Yeah. So he's got the, th the same kind of thing going on that I have where it's like this default, a little overly monotone. Um, and it's like maybe not super deep voice, but it comes from like a I don't know, this lower spot where it just kind of sounds like this constant hum, you know? It's like a vacuum cleaner in the background. That's how my voice is. And he, he has a little bit of that quality, like a, just comes from a, like a lower spot. It's it's a bit monotone. I don't know. What do you think about his voice? Yeah, yeah. It's like, in fact, I always have this problem when I'm trying to edit your voice because I never know whether I'm supposed to be adding more treble or more bass to your voice because it's coming from a deep place, but it's not exactly very low pitched. Yeah, it's, it's not that as if I sense. have a deep voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what, what it is. Um, yeah, it's odd. That's common for NTPs, I think. And 
it's kind of common for meta, especially meta men, because my uh, not so much the the coming from a deep place, but the higher pitch, like mm-hmm. my voice is pretty high pitch as well. Like mm. I've never I've never met an NTP or an NFP that had a naturally deep voice. Right. Is my voice average or a little high pitched? Do you think? I can't even tell. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird. So. Yeah, so if I had more FE or like if I were an SFJ, my voice would sound normal. Like I'd probably be like just as high pitched, maybe a little bit more high pitched, but more like less less this monotone vacuum background vacuum cleaner uh, sound that you're getting. And, and when I'm talking about my voice, we are basically talking about Morgan's as well. Like I said, I I don't. In fact, I don't think I've found I've heard someone's voice that was more similar to yours. Not saying that his voice is exactly like yours, but like your voice is fairly distinct, and his is fairly distinct in the same direction. A labiumental crease. What do you think about that, Alex? On on the Morgan here. Let's define what that is first. That's basically the the crease where yeah. your chin ends and your face starts. The rest of your face starts. So yeah. like where that the dent is where your chin meets your face. Yeah. So, so it's like the on the Z axis, it's the deepest point. Um, I would say. Yeah, and like if, if you if you wore a goatee, that it would be in that area, that same area. Yeah, and it, and some people have high labiumental creases, and some people have low labiumental creases. So low means that it's closer to the bottom of their face. High means that it's closer to their upper lip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, some people just have bigger labiumental creases. That's true too. That's true too. Like it's like um, more smooth, you know. Right, right. So, and some people, it just it looks like they don't have one at all. Like, um, yeah. But yeah, so his is quite high. It's you know, I I I can't give you exact numbers here, but it's definitely far farther up than halfway between his lips and his chin, the end of his chin. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a good indicator just within itself of meta. The second thing I thought of when I saw his video is how prone his eyebrows are. And we don't have to go into too much detail there, but prone suggests high T, so T-E or T-I. Um, he's got a wide face, which suggests F-E, meta F-E. So uh, another point on the proneness of his eyebrows. Um, once the eyebrows reach their apex, about two-thirds of the way out, they come down quickly on the sides. And so that, to me, says more he has high T, but because it's a, you get kind of that um, it comes down fast after the apex, that's T-I to me. TE lots of time that just kind of goes straight up and just kind of fades out, but TI curls down after after that eye apex a lot, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's a dramatic curve, like you say. Yeah. Putting all this together says SFJ or NTP. He's very prone, so it's just with what we have now, you could assume NTP. Yep. Uh, is there anything that you see that uh, would suggest NE over SI? Yeah, so I think at this point that we agree that he's NTP, but the proof would be we'd feel stronger about it if he had really any looking eyes yeah it, it's a little it's a little hard because of the camera quality yeah i would say because he clearly is is the sfj ntp function stack um and he's clearly quite prone um i, I would say ntp you know plus the voice uh like you were saying before like the monotone voice and uh, just how the luck, lack of fluctuation definitely mm-hmm. says high n-e-t-i to me yes um, yeah exactly so uh, if he was sfj he'd have more uh modulation in his voice for sure with all that said it doesn't seem like he's completely lacking in fe oh no he's he's pretty i think he's fairly high in fe and he claimed to be a histrionic right so if you look at 246 246 that facial expression really says fe to me Oh yeah, yeah. It, so he he squinches his uh his eye. But the way he squinched it so dramatically, it was clearly a. It wasn't just like a flinch. It was like a, it's part of his personality. It's it's a. Mm-hmm. It was a. It's a gesture. That's something that like someone like like you. I I wouldn't say you're particularly high in FE. Like sure, not that you don't have FE, but you you know you're not very high in FE. And I that's not a that's not a facial gesture I've ever seen you make. Yeah, that's true. Um. I, th- I think one reason for that facial facial gesture and um, another thing that makes us think he's NTP is he's a, okay, terminology doesn't matter. 
But when he closes his eyes, we're still working on the words for this. Um, so there's two ways to close your eyes. So there's two things that help you close your eyes. You can just bring your eyelid down, right? Because your eyelid moves. You can just bring your di- eyelid down over your eyeballs. Your 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 top eyelid. Yeah, correct. Your top eyelid. That has just a lot of movement and it goes down and it covers your eyeball. The second thing that you can do to help close your eye is flex some muscles between the top of your eye and the bottom of your your eye. I'm not sure what those muscles are, but there's clearly a lot of muscles in your face. And you, what you're doing is you're actually making that hole smaller. And then in tandem with that, you close your eyelid. So generally, um, any SI will do more squinching of the face, crunching of the face. They'll flex those muscles more as they close their eyelids, as opposed to um, if you see like someone who's just like, it looks like their face is completely wide open, not not scrunched together at all, but their eyelid just comes down all the way perfectly and, clo- and covers their eye. That's more of an NI um, SE thing. So if you see if you see someone only closing their top eyelids to get their eyes closed, they are, you know, not definitively, but they're, they're probably NISE. If someone's using the bottom of their eyelid and the top of their eyelid to close their eyes, it's with high degree of confidence that they're any SI. Yeah, like when you see that stress around the eyes and like it's clearly like you're flexing to close your eyeballs and you're, there's like a lot of muscle, like voluntary muscle movement in there. That's That indicates any SI to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Robot Morgan, uh, final answer, Alex? NTP. In fact, I, I would I would venture to say ENTP. Yeah, we'll call him ENTP. And that is that's what he types himself as, right? Uh, let me check. I don't remember. Let me check. I think he says, yeah, NTP. I think he said ENTP. Yeah, yeah. In his what? How I don't know how Reddit works, but in his comments of his uh, name, it says ENT Prime. So this is his way of thing. ENTP, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. So fortunately, yeah. Um, and I'm going to say this is by sheer coincidence, practically, that he typed himself the same way we typed him, and vice versa. Because um, honestly, there's 16 types, eight depending on how you view it. And most of the time, we don't type you the way that you took the test. Um, just FYI, don't be upset, but it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people like attach a part of their personality to the the typing that they get on the MBTI test. And I have had more than one person be upset at me because I said they were a different type and physiotype than what they yeah. tested on on MBTI. And it's just like... I'm sorry, but you asked. I just answered. <laughs> yeah. And I, I usually don't pursue it when they say that. And honestly, I got to this point where I would argue so much with people um, when I was just like more enthusiastic uh, about <laughs> physiotype. When you weren't as worn down? Yeah. When I wasn't as worn down, I would try and explain oh, why there's this type. And, and I got to this point where it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like nothing I say changes your personality type. You are who you are, no matter what crazy thing I, I say to you. And here's the thing. The fact that they tested as a certain type, that means something. Okay, if, if you type as an NFP, or an I, let's say you type as an INFP uh, when you're taking the MBTI, uh, full, in, MBTI quiz, that means something. That means you typed as an INFP on MBTI. And yeah, I'm saying that you're a STJ, but it's meaningful in its own way. Like It means something. It doesn't take away the meaning of what you did to yourself. That's not a very good way of putting it, but hopefully you understand. You typing a certain way on MBTI did not change you in any way. And us calling you another type on physiotype, you know, using the physiotype system did not change you, did not change your type. Like you said, uh, you are who you were before and you are that person now. Um, and to argue with someone about you know, us calling them one thing and MBTI calling them another thing is the end of the day. It's an argument of semantics. Yeah. And and this is one reason why we like to use our, our model, the universal uh, local metamessa pro and supine model is because people don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) So they can be like, I'm an NTJ and I'm like, you're a, you know, local meta supiner. And I'm not going to tell you how that compares to MBTI or how that relates to MBTI because then you'll just be upset. <laughs> and and I, I, once again, I am hoping it hasn't been working out so far that eventually we transition to physiotype semantics or physiotype nomenclature more than MBTI. For now, it hasn't happened, but 
we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a lot easier if um I don't have to say like eight different syllables just to say one type. I know. Like meta, subpine, universal, local, uh what uh what was I saying? What was the first word again? Like I know. We need to come up with a shorthand, but it's hard because meta and mesa are a dichotomy and they both have the same M. And we can't say M and S or M and T because S and T are also things too, I feel like. So I don't know. So basically Roat Morgan, yeah, you're an ENTP, you've got decently high FE. Um that's you know, the subtype I would give you. And then the fact that he's relatively high in FE, I think, is some it's something we probably could have predicted beforehand. Um just based on the effort that he's put into putting this subreddit together. Uh I, I can't see a incredibly heavy TI NTP going and trying to create a subreddit focused around helping other people's mental health. Also, it sounds like he's in sales, so that too. That too, yeah. It's hard to be in sales without FE. <laughs> I uh, I learned a lot of sales skills from his video he sent us. Unfortunately, I am terrible at sales, and I'll never intuitively believe in the power of sales, even though it's obvious. I just, I don't know. I've never liked sales, even though it's useful and <laughs> straightforward. How, if in any way, do you think physiotype could eventually be used for self-improvement? So, the more you understand yourself, the more you understand why you have the faults that you do and so if you're trying to improve yourself that means you know what your faults are right um and the better you understand the reason for your faults the more you can change like um me being very disorganized and not being able to get my life together for like all of high school and early 20s without at the time it was mbti mixed with physiotype but without typology and you know now physiotype um i wouldn't have a reason or i wouldn't have an explanation for that behavior it would just be oh that's just me that's just a part of me um but having something to focus on in this case you know having si looking to focus more on si to help with some conscientiousness for example uh it gives a target to aim for sure yeah. Um, it gives a mental image to strive for. Like once you realize, oh, it's because I'm universal and so I care less about local things. So that's one reason why I'm messy. Um, I'm also a TP as opposed to, you know, or I'm also a uh, universal, whatever. I'm a meta, meta supiner <laughs> as opposed to a mesoproner. Whatever. I'm going to stop talking. You're right. We need shorthand. For example, like you were saying, so that means, and it helps me realize, you're right. I am much less likely to care about my physical environment. Maybe that's something I should change if I want to better yeah. my physical environment. You know? So before it was, I was messy. I'm messy. What do I do about it? I don't know. I don't like picking up stuff. Now it's, I'm messy because I don't, naturally care about the physical environment around me so maybe i should put more effort into caring about this and only then will i be able to successfully change the behavior that i'm looking to change yeah i think that's great name it to tame it you know that's what what who says that someone says that um and yeah like i think you can go your entire life thinking that you're normal or that like everyone else is like you at a certain level but once you learn more about physiotype you realize that oh we're actually much more different than we think we are and it's just because of societal norms and common language that we are able to get along so well um and so you realize like why is this person more organized than me um oh it's because they're this type or that could be why at least like i live my entire life kind of like and i didn't even realize this like i'm still just slowly realizing it like i think most people or at least most local people and and probably most people because i'm i'm extremely universal they they view their life through a lens of themselves like I'm sitting on a couch right now and this is my house and it's a reflection of myself and what I'm doing now is a reflection of myself um, and everything that I've accomplished is a reflection of myself. I don't think about things that way. I'm I'm more have this high level view of like, what can I learn? What can I do? Like, I'm not thinking about how everything relates to my personal life ever, um, which I, I think is the exception. Anyways, this is one one thing that I'm like realizing about myself because of physiotype is I'm very universal. And that's why I'm so different than other people in certain ways is 
because most people are actually paying attention to what's going on around them. And I'm not. I think a lot of a lot of mental illness can be recontextualized with the lens of physiotype. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say as like, you know, a certain mental illness doesn't exist and it's just a extreme subtype of this type. Yeah, you know, I that's not that's not a claim I, I want to make, nor do I have any evidence for for that. But I think seeing let's say um we we've talked about uh, Asperger's before and how Asperger's may be related to incredibly high meza um having that contextualization can help someone who has Asperger's to maybe actually care have about we, Wait, have we talked about that before? Is that hmm that sounds familiar, but I'm now I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> Well, we can get that part out. Yeah. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's an example. It's fine. So even if that's not true, it's an example of like, you know, this. we're not claiming to, to cure Asperger's, but physiotype, like you said, can help us be more self-aware. And self-awareness is the first step to any kind of self-improvement. If you don't know you have a problem, you're not going to fix it yourself. And I do think that we will find that um, certain types are more likely to have certain mental illnesses. You know, like I'm quite sure that we're going to find a lot more NI schizophrenics than any schizophrenics. Um, anything to add on that? I think we covered that pretty well. No, this has been an extraordinarily long podcast. It has. It has. But you know what? I've had people complaining that our episodes have been too short lately. So <laughs> here you have it, guys. Have have at it. <laughs> you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff here. We will have all those links in the show notes. Uh, I hope to have created uh, another image showing where the labiomental crease is. I will never learn how to say that word correctly. Um, and maybe a couple different people so that people can see that. And I also want to have a couple of pictures of squinching versus not squinching, whatever terminology we come up with eventually. Basically closing your eyes with your lower lid versus not um so yeah check that out in the show notes uh check out our reddit i think that's it right we're done yeah all right thanks alex (laughs) thank you thank you guys for listening to the show we hope you enjoyed it we have a footnote episode for this show so uh a little clip where we talk a little bit more on detail on certain things um we didn't quite talk about inverses or isomorphs in this episode and Uh, We think it's something important that should have been covered. So we've created a footnote episode. It's just a few minutes talking about that. If you are on Patreon, you get to listen to that first. So right when you finish here, you can go on Patreon and you can listen to it right now. Now, if you're not on Patreon, you're not in a position to join Patreon. Don't worry. Uh, We will be releasing that episode to the public on Friday. So don't fret. If you've got some patience and you can't join us on Patreon, uh, just wait till Friday and you'll hear it too. Uh, but we we thought it'd be something nice to do for our Patreoners. Patrons? Patreoners? Hmm. It'd be something nice to give them for showing the support that they have for us. All right. Well, again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week. <laughs>